all that aside, I actually think the biggest problem and the biggest opportunity is that financial brands are not, they're failing to recognize that it's important to connect with the parents, to connect with the, the moms. We talk about the moms, we're not ignoring the dads, but the moms are the ones who make most of the consumer decisions in the household. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 84th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Sherry Storm and John Lanza to the show. Sherry is the Chief Executive Officer at Category 6 Consulting, and John is the creator of the Money Mammals Kids Club and the Art of Allowance Project for Financial Brands. What I'm excited about is together they've teamed up to publish a white paper that really is educating and empowering financial brands about how they can best capture the young account holder segment, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, to transfer their knowledge to you. Welcome to the show, Sherry and John. Thanks for Thank having you. us, James Robert. Well, let me ask, you know, I'm I'm excited as we, I feel we're seeing the light when it comes to this pandemic. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of optimism. And I'm just curious for you both, what are you most excited and hopeful about right now for for you, the work you're doing, whether that be personally or professionally, what has you really inspired today? Yeah, you know, I I think I'm just really excited. We just launched this new program called the Art of Allowance Project. We'll be talking about it. And what excites me is just that it's something that I think can help both financial brands and parents and kids. And I'm just super jazzed because we're in the first month of launch of a kind of re-envisioning of the program. So that's exciting. And uh, it'll be exciting to see where it goes, how we iterate from here. Absolutely. And, and, and we'll definitely get deep into that because as a parent of four, I think you're tapping into a lot of unique market opportunity and one that really aligns with a lot of the thinking and the teaching that we're doing here at the Digital Growth Institute. Sherry, what about you? Well, on a personal level, my parents and my grandma have been vaccinated. My 13-year-old daughter started volleyball last night. So that just, I love the word that you said, hope. That just brings me hope. On a professional level, conferences are starting to ramp back up. Yes. And, you know, I, I own a speakers bureau, so I'm getting these calls for, for myself and speakers. And I just can't wait till we can meet again in person and I can see all of my banking and credit union friends face to face. I just can't, can't wait. Hugs and high fives <laughs> all around. You know what? I'll even do the elbow bump. You know, I will meet you where you are at and I will, I, a hug or an elbow bump. I'll take it. There you go. There you go. I'm right there with you, you know, and it's, and it's funny cause it's like a double edged sword, this idea of conferences and travel and, you're talking to a guy who was on the road every week, every other week, and, and, and have been off you know, for the last 
year and it's been really good but i miss it like like i miss that in person interaction i don't miss the travel per se and i was telling my wife the other day i feel like zoom has become my own personal teleporter you know like star trek like i can teleport from here to there and the commute time is great cuz i get to go home and be with the <laughs> wife and kids and sleep in my own bed and Wake up feeling really good the next day, but I am excited about getting back on the road myself and, and really want to transfer this into, you know, you talked about the the conferences and the speaking, but you guys have been doing some really good work on the research side of this, this white paper to educate and empower financial brands on how they can capture even more young account holders. And, and it's very practical and you share 10 things that they should be doing right now so that they can move the needle to move forward with courage, with confidence, and, and maybe even give give a little bit of hope in this conversation as well. So I want to start off by why publish this white paper in the first place? And then what's the biggest problem you're seeing for financial brands that want to attract account holders, even in this, this post-COVID world? Okay, well, I'll start with the why and then... Um... John can answer the second part of that question, if that's okay with you, John. So one of the things that John and I did during the pandemic is we set up these um, team panels for, for several different conferences ar- around the country. And what became very apparent to us when we uh, were talking with these teams and, and asking them questions and getting insight was that teenagers these days are really different than teenagers even 10 years ago. And the stark difference in terms of their life's experience, their opinions, their is really quite remarkable. I mean, you think about you think about kids these days, they're the only generation to have active shooter drills since kindergarten at school, right? Like how many adults even know what Alice is? You ask any kid, they know. You know, they're the only generation that has always had mobile banking and home banking. You know, they, they are never going to write checks. They're the first generation that has never sat in front of a television and flipped through the channels because they are the generation that has had content fed to them based on what they like. They've had it curated for them. You know, and then you throw in the pandemic on top of all of that. And it's just this this particular generation is just really different. And so John and I um, started working with that. And the thing about financial institutions is they all want to be there when a consumer is ready to get their first car loan or their first debit card or, you know, or, or their first mortgage. But what we found is kids are making those branding decisions. They're, they're building their, their alliances and their, when they're young, younger than teenagers, when they're five, six, seven, there's even some studies that say that some consumers figure out their brand identity by the age of two. And so one of the things that we really wanted to stress was that this is a a comprehensive strategic initiative that, that banks and credit unions should be looking at. This really is about the future of, of growth and it starts today, but you're planting seeds. And I think that's an important point to make that you're planting seeds today that might not show fruit for another, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, but it's important to do the hard work now that no one else is willing to do so that you can, you know, reap those rewards. I want to come mm-hmm. back to some of these these key trends and characteristics. 
John, what would you you add to this thinking from from Sherry here? Well, let's uh, uh, first. I did want to say uh, kids become brand aware. I was just reading about this today, uh, yesterday. So brand aware before they're two, like she was talking about, and they start to align and and identify with brands before they're four. Like they they start to realize that a brand means something can mean something to their identity. So let's talk about that problem. Like what is a big problem that financial brands are having in terms of attracting account holders? I'd say first, can we stop calling them checking accounts? I mean, <laughs> I'm right there with you because I actually I actually wrote that down as a note. I was going to come back and address that because you said they're not going to write checks. Spending accounts is like what yeah. I see, or even with another institution I'm advising who has a you know, philanthropic eye and, and really purpose-driven, they are even talking about calling them giving accounts. So it's a very unique, I'm right there with you, John, no more checking accounts. Yeah, just something that's more relevant. So like you said, you talked about this, about this idea uh, in the white paper, which is just don't assume that your worldview is everyone's worldview. There's this idea that, uh, and I forget, it's, it's uh, Sherry, you can probably remember, remember the name of the person, uh, but is you should have a mentor, not a mentee, who is much younger than you to give you some perspective on the world. But we all know teens aren't using Facebook, but do they really want you in the domains that they are? Do they want you on TikTok? Do they want you on YouTube? Do they want you on Instagram? And that varies and it depends on the platform. So, but All that aside, I actually think the biggest problem and the biggest opportunity is that financial brands are not, they're failing to recognize that it's important to connect with the parents, to connect with the the moms. We talk about the moms, we're not ignoring the dads, but the moms are the ones who make most of the consumer decisions in the household. And the reason that you want to do this is that we know from research that parents are going to be the guides for their kids, right? Mm -hmm. The, The teens routinely say that they look to their parents and the way financial literacy works is there are three kind of main ways there's modeling which is the kids you know do what you do not what you say they're going to they're going to watch the parents and so if you have a program that helps not only the kids but the parents be a better guide great direct instruction that's another way that kids learn so that's going to be the actual teaching that the parents are doing with their kids and then experience, which is a huge part of it. So financial experience, and that comes in the form, you know, we'll talk about it, but an allowance and then going to the institution, saving their money there, you know, engaging with a debit card as they get older. Those are all part of the financial experience. And ultimately it's all about kind of introducing your kids to the language of money from a young age and then carrying through this conversation as they get older. And that's, it's a big opportunity for financial brands to be the kind of steward in this area. I agree. And, and that idea of modeling instruction and experience is one, once again, as, as, a, as a father of four, and I agree because we're having these conversations, you know, my wife is with, with, with the kids as well as, as I am. We Just the other day, my son wanted to buy something online. It was uh, Wildcrats a TV show on PBS that he's trying to get these these badges and patches for. And he got $10. He had to make a donation and he got $10, $10 bill. And I filmed this and he didn't know I was filming because I thought it was so sweet how he was going to pay. So he, on the payment form, started typing in the number on the dollar of like that, the, that $10 bill of the issuance. And I thought that was pretty just intuitive. And then he was like, that's not working. I was like, so, th- so what are we going to do next? He said, 
can I use my Amazon gift card? Because he gets Amazon gift cards and he preloads them into the account. I was like, well, it's not Amazon. So it's just a really good conversation of how all mm-hmm. of this is working. And then my 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 middle daughter, I mean, th- she is entrepreneurial to the core. I mean, she's always looking for a way to take something and add and multiply value. So I really like this idea of modeling instruction and experience. Before we go further, I want to get some clarity, though, from both of you by what you mean when we say young account holders. And and you touched on this a little bit, Sherry, because I know for many financial brands, especially with leadership teams, when you say young account holders, for some reason, their mind goes straight to to one word, millennial. But the (laughs) thing is, millennials are not young anymore. They've aged up and on the older end of the spectrum, those born, you know, in 1981 or turning 40 this year, do not tell anyone I fall into that category. So from the research that you've done, who are the young account holders now? Because you even touched on this, even, you know, it's very different than what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And so in our, in our white paper, we talk about baby to 24. So we talk about newborns to the age of 24. And that, I, I mean, that encompasses Gen X, I get, or not Gen X, sorry, Gen Z and then the yet to be named cohort. But one of the things we found when we did these teen panels was you asked the teenagers, when, how, tell us about when you opened your first account. 99% of the time, it's my parents did it for me. And, and the answer is oftentimes it was just, it, I've always had it. it. I had it since I was a baby. Like this is the account that I had always. And so one of the things that, that we're stressing is that you do have to consider the toddlers and the the four and five and six year olds because that's when the banking relationship actually starts for them. So yeah, so that's that's the age that that we cover in the white paper. Gotcha. And I think you touched on a, an important point here: is what comes after Gen Z. And right here, according to Business Insider, it's Gen Alpha, anyone born after 2010. But to quote Business Insider, it's already set up to be the most transformative generation yet. Alphas haven't just grown up with technology. They've been immersed in it since birth. Early in their formative years, these children are comfortable speaking to voice assistants and swiping on smartphones. They don't consider technologies to be tools used to help achieve tasks, but rather as deeply integrated parts of everyday life. That's an important distinction right there, even between Gen Z mm-hmm. and Gen Alpha. And when, when, when we look at this context, when we think about these young account holders, what's driving their thinking? What's driving their behavior most? First, just in general. And then second, coming back to the point of when they're buying a financial product, can you dive deeper into to this area here? Yeah. We found out a few interesting things that we did not expect to find, again, because this is not our view. This is the view of the from the teens and the young adults, right? So you, you always learn a lot. Just sit there, ask questions, and listen. Yes. So in facilitating those groups, we found, one, what Sherry talked about, the idea that parents really are the number one influence. Like, you know, all of them, really, they couldn't even, they could barely, they just they just said, I bank where my parents bank. That's, that's just what I do, right? So that was one. And then the other one was the importance of live people, a live person available in the process of setting up an account of when, when they're going to do a lot of their research upfront online, you know, which is obvious, but they want to have someone available to talk to and they want a physical location to go to. 
And then the other interesting part is they like snacks at branches. They like free food, (laughs) (laughs) free food at the branches. But it's, I thought it was really interesting. I I had been thinking that that group was going to be very focused only digitally, but there is definitely a large, important offline component. And um, actually it's something we discussed in your book club, James Robert, which is this idea that, they're going to go through the process when they're trying to when they're looking at your potential products, and your as a brand, the strength of your you could think your online setup is perfect, right? It's it's got everything, but then your call center is kind of average. That's going to be their perception of your brand is at that play at that time when they're this close to making the decision, they make that call, and you don't have that that one on one, whether it's in the physical branch or on the call center every part of the process has to be really rock solid because every touch there is going to affect your brand. Well, it comes back to this point of let's academically define experience through the lens of of what we teach here at the Digital Growth Institute. Experience being well-defined systems and processes that have been, number one, obviously defined, two, applied, but the, the secret and the key digitally is optimized. And that's not just in the digital world. That could be an omni-channel experience going from digital to the call center. Coming back to the point here is you talked about the need for live help. They're going to do their research. Let's just say they're going to get 80% of the way, do some comparison shopping. Now, we're going to go back 10 years, 2011. Shopper Sciences did research in conjunction with Google, one of the most profound studies of that time, which was the Google's Zero Moment of Truth study. And they found back in 2011, the number one most influential source on a consumer's financial buying journey, even digitally, was the human connection, whether that human connection was via email, live chat, telephone, call center, or transitioning from digital channel, mobile channel to in person. I think the key takeaway from all of this is we're seeing now, you know, from multiple data points, the research you're doing, the research that Google has done, the human influence, the HX, the human experience is going to be a very important role four years to come and and maybe we've lost some sight of that because we've been so focused on quote unquote technology not about using technology as a tool simply to bring people together anything to add to that thinking there i, I do want to add one thing it reminds me of uh, taking this tour of zappos uh, mm. because the the key element here is for those in-person people they have to be empowered to do the right thing and and the, the way to do the right thing the right thing is a tough thing to define but they have to like you you have to be able to help them understand what your brand is all about so they can make the right decision you know for example at Zappos they had a i think they're called the happiness team so depending on the type of the customer that's calling in this person would be empowered to spend up to $200 to provide a gift to this person if they felt like it was the right thing to do. And they would buy something personalized on Etsy for these VIP customers. But the main point was that they were all totally empowered to make sure that the zap, that what that the interaction the customer was having was positive for each individual person in a way that would make them want to come back to, uh, to the brand. And this comes back to something that I've, I have a hunch 
And it's just what I'm seeing at the macro level that that micro micro experiences are going to beat the macro or the mass experience in this post COVID world. And it all comes back to and I miss this, you know, when writing banking on digital growth, I, I you know, my formulaic approach was was HX plus DX equals growth. Human experience delivered through the context of the digital experience will lead to growth. What I missed in my biggest learning coming out of COVID, we have to put another experience that precedes the human experience, which is EX. So EX, the employee experience, plus HX, the human experience, will then ultimately lead to the digital experience, leading to digital growth. So it's the empowered employee. And I and I teach this too, you know, looking at another brand, Zappos. I mean, Tony Shea delivering happiness, you know, is an unfortunate, you know, tragic death last November. I think caught all of us by surprise, but thankful he left some of his wisdom. I mean, you just go watch his videos and he just transfers so much knowledge at scale. But Four Seasons, Issy Sharp, another great example of experience where he has always written and talked about automate the predictable so that we can humanize the exceptional. Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book, that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now, back to the show. When we look at these these young account holders, and one of the things I really appreciate with the white paper is the amount of research that went into the two of you pulling all of this together. And, and as a digital anthropologist, I sit at the, the center of marketing sales, technology, and human behavior. But one of the things that really jumped out to me was when you wrote, and quote, young consumers represent the canary in the proverbial coal mine. So I have to ask, what does this mean? Because when you think about the canary in the coal mine, I think about an early warning system, you know, caution. How might consumers be an early warning system for financial brands? One of the reasons that I always recommend that banks and credit unions focus on young people is they're going to inform you of what products and services you need today and tomorrow, because they're the ones who are adopting things that are are going to be longstanding, right? But, but in terms of the canary for in the coal mine reference was if you are paying close attention to that segment you will not be caught off guard when they start to forsake different services or products one of the things that that comes to mind for me is and you referenced it at the beginning is that this cohort definitely their experiences with other brands definitely informs their expectations for their finance, financial institution. And one of the problems that I see is that they are using different things that we, as, as older people, may or may not be using to the extent that they are. Like, so uh, an easy example is Uber. So a, a, lot of, a lot of kids start using Uber by the time they're 14, right? Right. 
if you've never used Uber, you don't understand how much easy, easier and enjoyable it is than using a cab. Like if, if you've never experienced that, you don't understand. And kids these days, they will not use, ta you know, they will have never have used taxis and Uber will be their point of reference in terms of how they want services delivered to them, right? The, and the list goes on. I mean, it's the difference between using a Roku versus cable or uh, Alexa versus a textbook or the yes. internet versus the library. And so one of the things that I think happens with this generation is they're much more impatient when things aren't easy and enjoyable. And that's, that's something that banks and credit unions overlook because I think a lot of times we consider security and safety and that to be what consumers want. When in reality, they just want to do it fast and they want it to be interactively pleasing. So yeah, you just have to pay really close attention. I want to pay some context to this. And this is real world, you know, a study that we're doing right now. It's a digital secret shopping study that we're conducting for a financial brand at the most important part of their digital experience, which is the application. And now we're benchmarking this application that's provided by a major third party provider who we're not going to name to protect their to protect them because there's some major flaws that we're finding and we're comparing and contrasting, let's say, a Gen Z perspective going through this application process versus a Gen X or even maybe a younger boomer, they have the patience to go through all of the additional questions and the quote unquote security where we're finding about 80% of Gen Z is abandoning the application process. They're like, this is way too much, way too complex, way too complicated, too much friction. But then when you, when you benchmark that against say a, a chime, for example, it's, a completely different experience and gen, it makes Gen Z feel that much better, but the boomers don't feel as confident. So it's a little bit of a paradox. And I think you mentioned this, John, we have to be careful to projecting our own worldview into this these these different areas. When it comes to the recommendations that you make on how financial brands can capture young account holders, your very first recommendation is is really two simple words that, that I've connected with, and you've mentioned this before, engage moms. I'd like to dig deeper here because this is really a blue ocean untapped opportunity, especially digitally through the research that we're doing for financial brands. But first off, from your perspective, why engage moms? And then what's the opportunity that you see for financial brands to engage with this very unique market segment? I have been shouting from the mountaintops for years. Yes, that you have. Banks and credit unions need to engage moms. And, and here's the laundry list right here. Number one is, depending on the study, they make between 80 and 90% of all household spending decisions. They are the number one influence on where their children will do their banking. But the other thing about moms is they are a tremendous referral source. Absolutely. Mom <laughs> And if you don't believe me, just go to Facebook and type in your city moms, like, because there is a, a Facebook moms group in every single city and town in, in the world. No, I don't know, in, in the country. But, but, but one of the things that moms do is they congregate online, they ask for referrals, and they act on those referrals. And that makes them a very enticing segment. The, I mean, the other thing about them is they tend to 
think pretty homogenistic, and I always say that word wrong, but, but what I mean is there are a lot of things that moms considers themselves to be, whether or not they are is up for debate, but it helps you communicate with them, right? Because right. You, you sort of, you, you know the rules of engagement. They wanna be good moms, they wanna provide for their children. Like these are things you, you know to be true. And so you can, you can craft your marketing message to speak to them easier than a lot of different market segments. Yeah, they just, um, they're, they're easier to reach because they're online and, and, and you know what they're about and they're going to bring in your new members. I mean, here it is. Shout out to Jeffrey Kendall, you know, CEO over at Nimbus who have had some really good conversations with and, and, and on their industry advisory board. I mean, what a, a great niche market opportunity that I could see be so transformative. I see this behavior. I see this with, with my wife and then, you know, her sisters and, and people trust people because you're going to shorten your learning curve by going to ask for the recommendation, the referral of others, because someone has already walked that path before. But I think you've tapped on it. I've heard this twice now. Influencer. You mentioned parents are the number one influencer. Mom are the number one influencer. That really takes the idea of quote unquote influencer marketing to a whole new level, even at the individual household. And so that's just something that I'm probably going to mm-hmm. stew on here a little bit further. John, you know, engaging in marketing moms has been a big area of focus through the work that you've been doing over the years and most recently with the Art of Allowance Project. Once again, as a parent, I'm really, really intrigued by the program. How might this program, the Art of Allowance, play into some of the opportunities that Sherry is referencing for financial brands to do just that, which is those two words, engage moms? Yeah, well, what we did is we've kind of re-envisioned our program because we had a kind of kids club program and we realized we wanted to help, well, we needed to help the parents because all the research we were looking at and, and frankly, like it was, for me, it was really exciting to finally connect and start working with Sherry because, you know, I'd followed her work. I, you know, I knew she just, she's like the mom whisperer. So it was time to get us to, to, to really connect and make this program something that would that would engage the parents right uh, because we we knew after all of our conversations and looking at the research that this is a we we have to connect with the parents and it's a huge opportunity for financial brands and what the program does more than anything is it recognizes that everybody needs some help this is i'm going to use your words james robert which is the program is there to help and then provide hope because every parent has every mom, every dad has a certain amount of money shame that they carry into their parenting. Right. And that's going to be a roadblock for them in terms of helping their kids become money smart and money empowered. And so what you want to, you want a program that is, this get that gets back to what we were talking about that has the ability to, that recognizes that every parent, every kid, every everybody is going through a different journey, right? So you just want to focus on core concepts. Not, it's not prescriptive to say you got to do it one, two, three. We say, here are some foundational elements, you know, setting and saving for goals, you know, uh, making smart money choices, things like that. Once you have that foundation, then you can realize as a parent, 
Well, one, first of all, those are simple concepts. And if I need to adjust my own behaviors, I can do that to be a better model for my kids. And the program recognizes it's, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a Sherpa. It's like a hand. We're holding the hand of the parent as well as the kids on this journey. We're going to give you the confidence and to, we're going to help you and then provide you that hope that you need in order to do what you, what you need to do, which is help your kids become money smart, money empowered. It's pretty much like it's one of the most important things that a child can grow up with is to learn to become money empowered. When I say money empowered, I basically mean people can interpret it different ways, but I would say it's just having control over money and to, to provide you the life you want. It's going to be different for everybody, but not have money have control over you, right? That's where you want to kind of get. Well, and that's I, what the program is designed to do. Absolutely. And I'm glad you addressed the idea of, of money shame, financial shame. Great TED Talk by Tammy Lally on the subject uh, titled Money Shame, The Silent Killer. And she really speaks from the heart on this and the experience and the tragic experience that she's lived because of that that financial shame that impacted uh, her family personally. And, and, and I think, too, this idea of empowerment People want three things. They want to feel healthy, feel wealthy, and feel happy. And feel wealthy doesn't mean to be a bazillionaire. It's just I don't want to have to worry about like you know putting food on the table. Like like wealth is different things to different people. But it all comes down to the wallet because a person's financial well-being directly impacts their physical well-being, and a person's financial well-being directly impacts their mental well-being. And I've really have been coaching, teaching, guiding, advising financial brands to put the transformation of people once and for all over the transaction of dollars and cents. That's 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 a purpose-driven organization. And, and, and now here's such a great practical way to do that and really plant and invest some seeds for, for future growth. I got a follow-up question to this because I can't help but think about Chase and Matt from Signal Intent that I talked with in episode 82. I see a lot of strong similarities between some of the programs like this like in, in, in calculators. It all comes down to value creation. Because otherwise, and, and I don't want to see this happen to you, it's it, it's a checklist. And it's something that we check off and then we move on and then we check off and then we move on. What are the opportunities to put this type of thinking at the center of a financial brand's doing and, and really become kind of the core essence of, of their purpose for future growth? Yeah, I'm glad you uh, brought this up because a lot of credit unions do see this and financial brands across the board see it as like, here's a box to check, you know, right. whether it's like something you have to do through your CRA or it's whether it's something you're doing based on your uh, fifth principle. What you're missing when you check the box and that's all you're doing is a huge opportunity. The other thing is that is it's not about just going into schools, right? That's it's important to provide support to schools, but you're missing the core connection about the parents. But more than anything, this gets you out of the sameness of the commodities business, right? I mean, obviously you have to have loan programs and deposit pro incentives. You have to have those things. Those are not going to differentiate you, right? This can differentiate you. And this is the thing that can make people think about you as an institution in a way that no, that no other institution is being thought of, you know, and can you think of anything else that matters more to moms than their kids mm. talk about driving loyalty, nothing else. And no. this is 
stealing your words again, James Robert, it's we're trying to help families achieve bigger, better, and brighter futures and, and addressing the health and the wealth and happiness that you talked about. And it, it's, it's actually for Sherry and I, we're, we're actually shocked that more financial brands don't recognize this opportunity. You know, I can't help but just throw an idea out for for where this could possibly go, which would be a family financial health score. Like assess a family's unique situation, mm. benchmark that, and then provide the coaching guidance accountability to transform really first and foremost mindsets. Because coming back, there's so much behavior at the parental level that we pass down to our children correctly or incorrectly. And if we can, you know, reinforce the positive mindset, which then reinforces positive behavior and then transform the negative mindset, which transforms the negative behavior. But a way to benchmark this, because I can't help but just think, because now this plays into a larger conversation about financial you know, well-being and, you know, financial empowerment. Wow, this is this is really, really like I, I see so much opportunity to go beyond just being a checklist item, but a true growth mechanism. Well, and this that uh, that idea is such a great idea. It reminds me of these metrics now that they use to measure countries outside of just GDP. Right? Yes, they're, they're yes. Happiness index. There's one I think it's called the Social Responsibility Index, and they'll measure things. You know, they measure education. They'll measure all different levels. You know, general happiness of the people. They'll measure you know the social safety net, and when you you really this idea of doing this for families makes so much sense because. This way we can kind of dig into it's more than because so much of the way that we perceive success in this country is driven simply by money and it needs to be beyond the dollar, right? The dollars are important, but it does need to be more. I love this financial, what do you call it? Financial wellness index? I think I called it a family financial health score. Um, And I'm riffing on this off the top of my Mm. head. I think it's important, too, to address as well. Family has multiple meanings now. You know, you have the traditional family. You have the blended family. You have the single parent family. You have cohabiting families. And so I think that's an important distinction to make as well, you know, in this larger conversation. And, and, And Sherry, I know you've spent a lot of time researching, thinking and writing, you know, about marketing to moms for as long as I've known you going back to 2008, 2009, motherhood, as you wrote in your book, is the new MBA. And when you think about financial brands engaging in marketing to moms, I have to ask, what is one thing with all of this experience and knowledge, what is one thing this industry believes or thinks is true, but you just passionately disagree with? Okay. Well, I don't have exactly a question an answer exactly to that question, but I do have an unpopular opinion. Let's hear it. Um, and my unpopular opinion is this. I think you need to have branches. And I work with a lot of people who will go to their graves saying the branches are dying. But I can hear I Brett it, King in the back of my head <laughs> saying branch today, gone tomorrow. That's that's actually who I was thinking about too. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but there are plenty of, of, of people just like, just like Brett. Because if you want to have a multi-generational strategy, if you want to get, you know, your customers' children and their children join your credit union or become a a customer at your bank, you have to have a branch. And and the reason is this. If you want to win the hearts of young people, you can't do it if they're sitting in the back of a minivan and driving up to your your drive-up 
teller station or your drive up ATM, you know, or, or if, you know, if the parents are just doing all their, their engagement with you online, the kids don't see that. What kids remember, what they internalize is when they came into the branch and you gave them a sticker or a sucker, or they had the kids station with a, you know, with interactive toys in it. And the, the tellers remembered their names or they had the coloring contests or they, you know, they came to your branch to see Santa or during, during Easter, they had the Easter egg hunts, you know, like all of these things that cement themselves in the minds of young people happen at the branch. They happen at the branch. And so I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily wise to say that you should start doing away with your branches or putting them all in grocery stores or whatever. I'm going to say, I'm going to compromise. Maybe we don't need these five, 10,000 square foot, you know, major massive branches with this huge, you know, physical footprint. It could be mm-hmm. smaller. Maybe it's a micro, it's just a place for people to come. Maybe it's the way they schedule. It's like you go to the doctor, you go to the doctor mm-hmm. and you schedule appointments. Sometimes it might now post COVID, it might be telemedicine. Other times you might yeah. schedule the appointment to come in, but when they come in, it has to be a positive experience that results in a feel good emotion. I want to look ahead in the future, mm-hmm. you know, and and get some perspective both as we wrap up here. What is one micro commitment that you could recommend financial brands commit to take today? Small progress is greater than perfection. You know, 1% better. What's a one commitment micro commitment they can make today when it comes to engaging with, with, with really moms, you know, at, at this point in the conversation, I would say hold some focus groups and find out what moms in your community are thinking, dealing with, just start the conversation with them and keep it going. That would be, that's a, a very small thing to, to do. John? Well, you stole mine, Sherry. Did but I? I'm going to oh, go no. with it anyway. No, 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 no. It's in a, in a good way. I think what Sherry's saying, listen to your customers, you know, your members, your guests, whatever you want to call them. I've yet to meet a parent who does not want to raise money smart kids, right? And almost all of them need a little bit of help right? In order to provide some kind of hope. And it's just a matter of having that conversation. And it's fairly easy to do. I'm going to change John's answer. I'm going to change his answer for him. So John provides an art of allowance workshop. And I have sat in on it. And I would say any banker credit union should consider this because what he does is he goes through with a group of people online about, you know, talking to your kids about money, starting from, you know, when they're very small up until when they go away to college. But then he breaks people up into um, breakout sessions and or breakout rooms, excuse me. And then they, they talk about what they're individually going through. And people get so much out of that. Yes. To be able to talk to another parent and say, well, what do you, what do you do about it when they don't take out the garbage? You know, what do you, what, and parents love to talk about these things and providing them the, the forum and the structure to talk about it is really powerful. So, and that is what I would say your banker credit union should do. I'm, I'm right there with you because, you know, it, it really builds upon my recommendation of going all in, which is asking, listening and learning. But you're building a community of like minds. You're creating a safe space for people to come. I want to add one more thought to this. Maybe it's just for future, future conversation. In addition to empowering 
parents and moms and kids on how to like manage money, become money smart. I think another opportunity, particularly for this generation, is how to begin to make money and really empowering the entrepreneurial spirit. That's something that I'm big in, you know, personally and, and do a lot of speaking at, at for my kids' school. I've become the the the, the entrepreneur in chief, you know, going in and talking to these kids and, and 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 it's really fascinating to see their eyes light up. As we come to the end here, if anyone's listening and it's been a great conversation and they want to continue this conversation with with one or both of you, what's the best way for them to reach out and say hello, Sherry and John? I can be found. Uh, my website is category6consulting.com or on LinkedIn, Sherry, S-H-A-R-I. My last name is Storm, S-T-O-R-M. You can find me there too. Yeah, and the easiest place to find me is at themoneymammals.com. And uh, everything you need to know about the Art of Allowance Project and the Money Mammals is all right there. And you can get in touch with me right there. John, Sherry, thank you so much for just the knowledge, the insight that you have transferred today. Grab the white paper. Where can the people find the white paper? It's on both of our websites. Perfect. Go find the white paper, download the white paper, read the white paper, reach out to Sherry, reach out to John. And as always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good. 